Welcome to a gamer story. I'm Noah Geekus, avid fan of gaming and gamers alike. Each episode will feature in-depth conversations with gamers from all areas of gaming. Have you ever wondered about the actual gamers themselves? Their motivations? Their home lives? Their quirks? Just how much time they actually spend gaming? And their thoughts on the future of gaming itself? Join me as I ask them just these questions. Are you ready? Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge fan of today's guest. I'm very excited to welcome to today's episode of A Gamer Story, Paul Saunders. Paul Saunders is one of the founding members of Loading Ready Run. Paul, along with his partner Graham Stark, have been producing video and audio comedy since 2003 that covers internet trends, pop culture, and of course, video games. Some of their shows include Friday Nights, Checkpoint, and Road Quest. Hello, Mr. Saunders. Welcome to a Gamer Story podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Tell us about your story. Are you ready? Yeah, thanks. So how did you get started playing games, or in particular, MTG? Magic, I had this sort of two-section experience with Magic. I played Magic when I was in high school, way back in the day. I think I started with, you know, fourth edition or something. And I played it for a bit and with friends and things, and it was a lot of, a lot of fun, but kind of fell out of it after a while. Just we started doing other things. And then, as is actually depicted in videos that we have produced, you know, the we did a video about basically us getting back into Magic, which was we got the, we were at PAX, and they gave out the uh, little starter, like, half decks, and we started playing it, like, in line, waiting for something, and then we kind of got hooked. We, uh... We're like, hey, everybody, okay, just buy, we don't want to go crazy here, just buy like one pack per week. And that immediately went out the window. And uh, we kept playing Magic and uh, each new set and then ended up with, uh, you know, building a relationship with Wizards of the Coast. And uh, now we're doing it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I got started in Magic at like a camp, a summer camp. So I was uh, playing like other card games a lot at the time. But basically, I, I had tried to get into Magic earlier on. Unfortunately, the card store that I would have gone to had closed down. It was, like, right down the street, so it would have been perfect. I had gone there to play Pokemon all the time. But I was at this camp, and this guy named Corey, he helped me learn a little bit more, a little bit better. And uh, eventually, I ended up making an elf deck, which was the first deck I ever truly put together myself and uh, still treasure it to this day, although now it's a commander deck. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Elf commander is tricky, though. You got to be careful with elf, elf commander because you, if you aren't careful, you become like the arch enemy at the table. People get very scared of elves popping off on in commander. Yeah, I've I've seen that one before. Oh, my God. My, uh, my friend was playing a lateral blade of the elves deck. Yeah, I think that's the name of the card, if I'm mistaken. But it's uh, four mana, two, three. Whenever it deals combat damage, you create that many elves. And it's uh, green and black. And he just went bonkers because my, uh, my other friend had played a concordant crossroads, giving everything haste. And he just oh, destroyed boy. us all. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was great and horrible at the same time. Uh, but 
That was kind of my magic experience. I learned at like a camp and stuff. But how did you get into video games? Like, because I know you stream a lot and stuff. I mean, of course, I always like, I, you know, I've been playing video games the majority of my life in various forms. I was in the, the section of kids who were like, I didn't really have like a console, like a Nintendo or a Super Nintendo or whatever at home. So I did a lot of like playing over at other friends' houses, but I had, a, you know, I played a lot of computer games and stuff at home. And it was just always like, you know, it didn't even really consider myself like a quote unquote gamer, right? It was just like, that's what everybody did. And I think that's probably the case still, right? Like people play video games. Sometimes, you know, disparaging things like, well, this guy's a gamer. I don't know about it. But it, it like, if you look into it, it's like suddenly, like, you know, 95% of people are young people are playing video games so it's like if you look at anybody they're probably playing video games it's the the most like massive media thing ever <laughs> so uh and then when we were doing loading ready run the sketches and stuff that was obviously just sort of a touchstone of our Graham and I's sort of cultural experience was uh, was video games so you know that's that's was the source of a lot of our humor just because that was something that ha- that we spent a lot of time on and then that that sort of became it made sense to make a lot of our content around video games and magic and sort of geeky content and stuff because that's what we were interested in and then the the streaming sort of arose naturally out of that as we sort of learned more about the possibilities for live online streaming and stuff oh yeah definitely i mean you're completely right about the kids and playing video games thing i don't think i know a person in my school who doesn't play video games yeah nowadays it's just like a thing that everyone does uh especially me yeah it's not really like there isn't gamers and non-gamers there's just it's just pretty much everybody everybody plays video games i'm texting my friend who i don't even think plays video games and i'm like hey what you doing right now and they're like i'm playing video games i'm like oh you play video games and and they're like yeah everyone plays video games and i'm like okay it's like saying somebody's like a movie watcher or a television watcher it's like it's a pastime that being said i will admit that i probably play more video games than the average person it is weirdly part of my job now that was think that like all the things that i did when i was younger playing magic playing video games comic books television movies all the stuff that i did when i was when i was younger that i was sort of considered to be like the sort of time wasting relaxation stuff between all the actual learning that turned out to be the stuff that i was actually preparing to do as my career which is always odd i find that cool actually that you can turn like something that's a hobby into like something big especially like now it's your your life's work you know you put probably (laughs) so much effort into uh, llr i mean i can appreciate that how did you begin loading ready run what was your thought process behind it so graham and i were friends obviously in school and we made there was a film festival at Graham's we went to different schools but there's a film festival at Graham's school and he made this computer animated or or he wanted to make this computer animated film for it called After Hours which was like about suits of armor waking up in a museum and doing stuff and 
he given the time and and the amount of work he couldn't do it himself so he, he asked if i wanted to help him out with it and i said yes and so we together animated and you know we got friends to do voices for it and stuff and did this thing for this film festival and i think it did quite well i don't know i can't quite remember if it actually like won but it did quite well and we enjoyed the process we we're like we should do this more but let's do more filming stuff as opposed to computer animation because that's really hard and takes a long time <laughs> and so we were like okay let's you know how do you get good at anything is you do it a lot and sometimes you know it, the really the crappy stuff happens you know early you have to get all the crappy stuff out there before you can get onto the good stuff and so we we're like okay let's make ourselves a goal of producing one video per week and so we started loading run, ready run with that. We were like, let's let's make one video a week, and we did that for 15 years. <laughs> we never missed a week for 15 years. We produced a video a week, and it, you know, all sorts of different types of, you know, obviously major made mostly comedy stuff, but also some like weird sort of documentary stuff, some sort of experimental stuff, different things. And as the whole thing grew, we sort of brought in more friends and and different things and but for the majority of it's like for about you know the first six or seven years 10 years even maybe graham and i both had our like actual i had full-time jobs separately or graham was also going to school and so and then we got to the point where we when we started working with the escapist and doing unskippable that we could actually we had to sort of make the decision. It's like the amount of time that this is going to take. We're going to have to choose to either do do this or do a full time job, you know, separately. And so we uh, uh, started working on it like that, and sort of things have kind of progressed from there <laughs> in weird, sort of windy paths. So, how did you come up with the name? Loading ready from a Commodore sixty four which is where the like blue on blue color scheme comes from as well. But we used to like emphasize the Commodore 64 stuff a lot more like in like the very early first version of the website everything was like all pixelated and stuff on the website and everything. But as time has gone on that is that became a little bit of a annoying. We we've sort of downplayed that a little bit. But the loading ready run is when you write when you play a game on the old Commodore 64, you would stick a, a disk in a floppy disk in and it would say loading do, 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 ready and then you type in run and then that would start to start the game that that was the uh thing we had a bunch of different ideas for for other things that we could call the site but we liked the aesthetic of the commodore 64 stuff and sort of fit with the computery video game kind of thing too yeah no the name is actually really cool i, I like that a lot and then now you're on a show called commodore hustle does that connect there- yeah i think that was it was Commodore, it was supposed to be, you know, yeah, sort of relating back to the Commodore 64 origins. And then Hustle was just like, we wanted a name to go with it. I think we, we sort of workshopped a bunch of different names for Commodore, you know, different things. But yeah, we just kind of like the, we like the sound of the words together. It doesn't mean anything in particular. It's just the name. It's just, it's just a, a name that nobody else had at the time. So we could, uh, wouldn't get confused with anything else. And, uh, yeah, I quite like it. Yeah, I like it too. Even though I didn't know what it meant for half the time I was, I saw it. I, I still like the name. It's it flows well. 
Continuing on, how did you branch out into so many forms of media? You're in uh, skits, podcasts, live shows, and so much more. Mostly, it's each sort of step felt quite natural, I guess. But it's mostly that, you know, we are interested in a lot of different things. We're lucky enough that the way Loading Ready Run is structured and the way how our sort of, I guess, our audience is sort of along for the ride that we can kind of do whatever we think will be interesting or fun to do. I feel kind of sorry for streamers or, or, you know, YouTube creators that, you know, locked into like, I am only a Minecraft person and I just do Minecraft for five years. And it's just like, that's, it seems really limiting, kind of boring. And we've always been interested in all sorts of different things and different mediums. And I mean, in some ways, it's possibly been to our detriment in the sense that it's not necessarily the smartest way to like build an audience really fast because, you know, different people will be into different things that you do and stuff. But on the other hand, you know, our audience that we do that does sort of grow slowly is very much sort of in sync with what we like. And so we, we really value that, you know, that we have this audience that is willing to support us to do all these different things. And as we have sort of transitioned from the sketch comedy stuff, it was really what we used to do. That was, I mean, obviously that was Loading Ready Run for a long time. And then we started doing more and more different projects and stuff. And then it got to the point where we were sort of realizing that the the amount of time and energy that the sketches were coming up were, were taking versus the sort of, amount of people that actually were watching them and frankly the, the sort of the success of them as as a piece of content didn't really balance very well and so we're like okay well maybe we'll move on to doing other stuff and we did like a kickstarter for the last last year of sketches and that kind of stuff and yeah and so it's, it's just been a combination of what we're particularly we're personally interested in and also responding to you know, when people in the audience, in, in our in our fan group, in our fans and our audience ask us about things. And sometimes they'll ask, like, hey, have you ever thought of, you know, playing this or doing this? And we'll be like, no, we didn't. But that sounds interesting. Perhaps we shall. Or, you know, we try out something, you know, like, for instance, magic. And then it turns out to be like this whole thing, which was no, not in no way planned. You know, that was just literally us making a video about our experience playing magic and then... You know, we got in touch with Wizards of the Coast and they liked it and thought we they wanted us to continue stuff. So I feel like a lot of people, different types of people watch your content, but I also think as that could be a detriment to other people. If you're trying to escape like Minecraft, right? You've been doing it for five years and you don't like it. Well, like I'm sure like over like 75 percent of your fan base is in Minecraft. So if you move over to another game, you're losing like a ton of your views, a ton of your subscribers. I mean, it's a tough thing. There's all sorts of different ways to structure, especially, you know, producing online content. There's all sorts of ways to grow an audience and structure things. You know, when people ask us, you know, hey, do you have any advice for new creators? It's tough because, I mean, how we did it is just keep doing stuff for 20 years <laughs> or 15 years or whatever, which is not that effective, not like a super efficient way of doing it. So we don't necessarily, like, nobody else can necessarily follow our example because, 
he sort of did it in a particular way and it only kind of worked because of the time and the time we did it at and the situation all those different things so yeah everyone get you and you sort of build up your own audience and that can be tricky people have are stuck with whatever they're stuck with you know either either uh, a particular game or a particular style of content or that kind of thing it, it can be difficult we've i think you know because we do all sorts of different stuff i think our audience is more inclined to kind of come along with any new projects that we want to do which is very valuable i mean they you know they also do get you know people do get sad when we if we're not doing anything anymore like you know when we cancel a project or if we discontinue something because we're because we're bored of it some people will be like oh but that was my favorite thing yeah for me i feel like the fact that you're in so many different places is like a bridge to your other places i started watching you for magic the gathering content lr mtg but then i started watching some of your older sketch comedy videos and, and then i got into like all of your content that's the goal right i mean that's how it's supposed to work i mean and it's great to hear that that's something that that, that worked for you it feels like a lot of the time it doesn't work that way, which is frustrating. You know, people will be like, on like a, we'll make a video, like especially back in the, when we were in the like Friday nights or whatever, we bring out Friday a Friday nights video and people will be like, oh, great. I thought you guys were gone. And I'd be like, you just haven't done, like we did Friday nights, we skipped a month and we've been doing literally hundreds of hours of content in the meantime. You just, people have weird sort of, compartmentalization thing like they don't see sort of they like don't i recognize that person from something else but you know seeing the same thing in different places that connects it up so i've definitely done that thing where it's like oh wait is that that's someone from a different thing right and then i look it up and i'm like oh yeah i'm right <laughs> and then and, yeah, yeah it's always fun when sort of what you perceive as different worlds of content kind of collide you're like, wait, that person knows that person? <gasps> Yay! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun to, like, figure out who knows who and, like, the little, like, spider web of content creators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, in Friday Nights, you play a character who likes to build, like, contraptions or, like, objects like that. Is that true to your real-life self? To a limited extent, yeah. You know, I, I do enjoy making, especially, I mean, especially with the live streams and stuff. I enjoy making little uh, fun things to, to sort of enhance the sort of streaming experience and that kind of stuff. I'm by no means the like mad inventor type that uh, is depicted in Commodore Hustle and Friday Nights. I think in Commodore Hustle, I'm often even worse than in Friday Nights. And I, I'm afraid I, I don't install Linux on everything. And uh, <laughs> so, but uh, I do enjoy that character of, I like to think of him as a, that version of, of is like a, a good-natured tornado. He's like really positive, but just leaves like devastation in his wake as he goes by and like tries to like fix a thing, which is actually probably going to be worse, but in an exciting way. Yeah, I actually really like your character because like he can be making a card shuffling machine or like he can be doing anything. And it's just like silly contraptions that nobody else would ever think to make. But I also feel like, what was it? Uh, in one of the episodes of Friday Nights, you're trying to make that card shuffling machine I was talking about. And James is trying to steal your thunder because he's trying to make a thopter, like a real life, like a life-size thopter. And he 
completely screws it up, so he just buys a drone. And I find it great that, like, you're the only person who can even attempt to build these things. Like, you're the smartest person always. Not only did you try to build, like, card shuffling machines, but you've built a machine that can tell what's coming up in future sets. It is, no one else could do that. I feel like even the most high, like high tech, high tech computer couldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, if you think about in like, you know, I don't know if you've played Dungeons and Dragons or any RPGs like that. Yeah. I think the Paul from Commodore Hustle and Friday Nights is the epitome of like high int but low wisdom, right? Like (laughs) smart, but not necessarily wise in how to use smarts. Often you, you know, yeah, using it for stupid purposes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember one episode you were trying to build, like, a pyramid so you can get mana. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so funny to see, like, what contraptions you'll come up with. It's never like you're going to build, like, a robot to be in service of you. It's like, I'm going to build a card shuffling machine <laughs> for all of my magic needs. I'm sure any normal, or any normal person would just be like, oh, I'm going to build, like, my whole, I'm going to turn my whole house into, like, this thing that will, like, do all my chores for me and, like, everything else. And you're just like, I'm going to build a card shuffling machine and um, a pyramid that taps for mana. <laughs> I think it's important that almost none of the inventions that, you know, Paul comes up with are actually useful. I, I feel like that's an important aspect of it, that if he actually was making things that made people's lives easier, it would be less entertaining. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Yeah. This is the most entertaining form of Paul. He has to make things that just that don't impact people in such a way that it's like world changing. (laughs) He just builds whatever he wants for like trivial means. So do you stay on top of like current games and current gaming trends? Well, I mean, we do the Checkpoint video game news show every week. And my a large portion of my sort of part of that is that I'm tend to be the one to select or or at least sort of do a first run of stories sort of looking through various feeds from you know kotaku and ars technica and polygon and all these various video game news websites and sort of selecting ones that i think may have some kind of comedy potential and then usually then the the people who are you know graham morbige or kathleen will actually be writing the stories so because of that and like we've been doing checkpoint in some form for many many years now and before we did checkpoint we did the escapist news network which was a similar idea and so so i've been sort of keeping an eye on on various video game news things for like a really long time to the extent that even when we're not doing like checkpoint in a week like if it's been canceled or postponed because we're to have some other project working i'll still usually be like looking at news feeds and stuff and be like wait no i don't have to do that this week so yeah i I mean i try to keep on top of stuff and sort of what's going on in the particularly sort of big news stories and things and although my my window into it tends to be a slightly odd because you know i'll be i'll be concentrating on like the more kind of weird news as opposed to just like hey this game is coming out or you know this studio is closing or that kind of stuff 
Yeah, for me, uh, I follow like new super popular games and see if I either know anything about the series or if I would be interested in buying the game. And if not, it's useless to me. <laughs> if not, I, just, I would just keep on moving because I hear news fairly fast, but like I'm not always like just on my computer like looking for like the latest game to come out. Oh, is this going to be good for me? I'm not like looking on my computer for like the latest COD every single week or even month <laughs> i just expect the news to come to me by way of word i mean you can go any of those communities you know the fandom or the communities around various games you know call of duty or, or fortnite or or you know minecraft or any, any of these community and stuff you can go real deep in any of these things you know and sometimes we'll we'll do stuff like if there's a story about you know eve online or something in order to sort of get the background info for the story to sort of understand what it actually is talking about, you kind of, you start going into some of these communities and sort of trying to get more info about stuff and things. And, and yeah, I mean, it, people who are, if you're really into a particular game, there's always like something to talk about, about a particular game, even if there's no news. Then the conversation is about like, why isn't there any news? Is it because there's going to be a big announcement and they're just waiting? That's a funny like prospect. The fact that that you just be sitting there like, oh, there's no news this week. But wait, next week there'll be something big. Heather often talks about with like Nintendo fans tend to be particularly bad for that, right? They'll be like, when something isn't announced, mm -hmm. that is an it's like, hmm, they didn't announce like a new Pro <laughs> Switch this week that must mean that the new pro switch is coming next week when nintendo has not like said anything it, like you know people's expectations get lifted just through like this like self encouragement in the community without nintendo or, or whoever actually saying anything i i know that feeling like the nintendo direct comes out every like once in a while like everyone's in a blue moon my friends are always on it they're like oh my god we're wait I'm waiting for the Nintendo Direct. It's like it's leaked that it's like next week. Like I'm so ready. Like they're gonna put Waluigi and Smash Bros or whatever. And then like next week, I'm like, where is it? <laughs> you told me it was next week, and they're like, yeah, I know, I said that, but like next week, next week yeah. is coming out. And then it's like it's not coming out next week. <laughs> I, I'm just next. waiting to get that notification on my phone. Like it, it came out, but it never comes until like six months later <laughs> but that's just me yeah but definitely nintendo has that kind of reputation anyway i guess we'll move on to the next question did your family understand when you started to make sketches and like video game related content i don't know if they understood you know my parents have always been very supportive of my the stuff i'm doing i think for the first part certainly it was like oh this is a fun sort of hobby thing that you're doing and then once it sort of transitioned into being more of a, a career sort of thing or, or like something that I could actually, you know, support myself on. I think there's a fair amount of like, you know, support, but it's also like, so what what do you do? Like, and, and it's not even not even that they don't want me to do it, but they're just like, I, I want to be able to tell my friends what my son does. And I don't I can't I don't know what the word for it is. And I'm like, I don't know what the word for it is. <laughs> <laughs> for a long time even when i was because i was a i was self-employed as a uh, web developer for quite a long time and so even after i was working full-time at loading ready run i would still say that i was a web developer for a long time just because it was it was sort of a something that people could understand easily it was like okay yeah that's and otherwise it's like i'm a video 
producer. I make online content for the internet, but not bad, good, funny content. Make videos for the internet can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Got to be careful about it. No, no, this is a funny, funny comedy video. I have videos on YouTube. Just the video game uh, sketches, <laughs> whatever else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these days, it would, like, YouTuber or, like, content creator would probably cover it. Yeah. That didn't used to be a term that people really understood. YouTuber also kind of rubs me the wrong way just because we're not like we use youtube more as like a platform as opposed to like i i don't feel like loading ready run is like deeply integrated into the youtube community as such yeah we're we mostly just use youtube as a way to distribute our stuff as opposed to sort of its own entity same with sort of twitch and whatever yeah i, I can understand that i i'm sure like you feel like it doesn't have to be youtube it could have been another platform but that's kind of just yeah i mean and it was it other but like all our stuff was hosted other places first we used a service called rever and then we used a service called blip both of which are out of business now uh before we moved over to youtube it was just yeah just sort of as, as various online video hosting services came and went so, um, do you think that VR games will eventually, like, replace console games or, or like, trading card games in, like, real life? I don't know. I, I, like, I haven't played a ton of VR stuff. I've played a little bit. And so far, I haven't been, like, I haven't really seen a, a real, like, what I would call, like, sort of a, you know, the sort of AAA gaming experience in VR. Like, I've had a lot of, I've played a lot of fun little games in VR but I would still consider them to be more like sort of almost like sort of toys, like like sort of fun things to like interact with. Or there's like, you know, stuff like Beat Saber where you're, you know, doing the rhythm stuff. And the uh, there's, was it Cooking Simulator was an, or was another one that, or Job Simulator, another one that was quite, like it's super fun stuff. And I, I fully admit that I'm not really up on like what all the latest VR things are, but I feel like there isn't really like an equivalent to say Final Fantasy or or like like a big sort of a real big sort of video game that that put hundreds of hours into. I feel like that's not really that hasn't really been in the VR space yet and I think that's partially due to the technology like it's just not that comfortable to wear a VR thing for hundreds of hours. And so I think that'll come and there's all sorts of interesting I know VR stuff is very interesting to me. I definitely want to try it more, play with it more. And it, I, you know, it keeps getting better all the time, lighter and faster and higher resolution and all that good stuff. So I'm sure there will be stuff for it. I don't know if it will become like the only way that people play games necessarily, at least not for a long time. But to be honest, some of the neat thing, the neatest things I've seen with VR are not like games, but more like experiences, stuff like, Stuff like things where you can like watch a movie and it's like in a theater space or you can like sit down at your computer and have ginormous like a ginormous monitor that's covering your entire field. You know, sort of experience like stuff that's more non-gaming uses of the technology. I find there's some really neat stuff with that or even like augmented reality stuff like, you know, the Pokemon Go kind of thing where you like you have Pokemon running around in the real world. That kind of stuff is super neat. I'll admit myself that I haven't been the most caught up on 
the latest VR stuff. I think the last VR thing I remember was Half-Life Alex. Mm, that I've heard that that's super neat. Yeah, I saw the graphics. I think that they look really good, actually, for a VR game. And I definitely think they're evolving. And I don't think that they'll 100% like, take over console games, but I think they'll be like somewhere near console games in how, how many people play. Yeah, I mean, there are some fundamental things about, like, it's just, you know, walking around or running around in a game. If you have to actually, like, move around your body is maybe not as interesting. They're, like, the controller is a pretty nice interface thing. And, I mean, maybe we'll get to the point where VR games, you know, the VR tracking is high definition enough that it can actually, like, track your fingers and your thumbs and you can, like, play out on a virtual controller <laughs> while you're in the VR space. I don't know. Of course, well, I say, of course, those of us, you know, you and me with uh, with glasses are also kind of at a disadvantage in the VR thing, too. Oh, yeah. Not you're so definitely fun. not wrong. Yeah. It does, like, hurt sometimes. But, I mean, other than that, I think that uh, it's definitely evolving. But I don't think it's going to, like, completely overshadow Xbox, PS4, PC, because they have better graphics a little bit right now. But if they manage to build up their graphics and, like, their controls a little bit better, then I think VR can definitely become a thing. The holodeck is the goal, right? That's that's what we're going for. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Someday, someday. Eventually. We'll, eventually we'll get there. But for now, we're stuck with two controllers and a thing that goes over your head. So where do you think gaming is headed overall? It's tough to see. See, I mean, clearly things are going, and it's not even a new, certainly not a new trend, but like multiplayer online stuff is becoming more and more prevalent and sort of online components to even sort of single player experiences, which is something that I personally am get, get kind of annoyed with just because online gaming is not really the thing that I'm interested in. I tend to be more into the, in more into the single player experience stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's wonderful stuff in terms of, especially like indie gaming and things, you know, it's never been easier for, even though like AAA titles are getting ridiculously expensive, just the amount of manpower required to produce the ridiculously high resolution content and all these things, you know, uh, there's all issues with that. On the other end of the spectrum, producing a really high quality game is surprisingly open to like so many more people now than ever would be before and so there's some really you know there's the sort of single player type games or and and sort of indie i guess smaller experiences but there's been some you know really neat stuff that have come out in the last little while and i'm sure will continue happening as the you know the tools and things are getting better and better all the time and getting more and more sort of open to all sorts of different people there's this new Ratchet and Clank game, which is a sequel to the 2016 one. And I was like, how much could this game be? And it was 70. And I was like, 60 is fine, but 70? You're pushing yeah. a little. It just seems like a little much for me. But I'm still probably going to get it once I rack up the money. But now. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the the prices have gone up. I mean, I'm up in Canada, of course, and, and it's games are up in the like 80 to 90 here, out here, but. So yeah, that that's a tough pill to swallow. I'm a bit of a cheapskate in that regard. I have to say, I tend to look for you get the get the Steam sales, that kind of stuff. You know, you get some good things there. Yeah, definitely. They got a pretty good library too. So if if your game is there, then you'll probably get it for a better price than some of the console 
places unless it's like console exclusive which then that's that's the one good thing about like certain consoles when you have like exclusive content for them because it sweetens the deal a little bit i mean that i think that is in terms of trends that is definitely something that is changing has changed and is changing more is because the you know both especially the xbox and the playstation are the internals of the actual console are very much sort of commodity parts, like the more so than ever before. They're just, a, it's just a special computer. You know, it's just a computer. The parts that are in the box are effectively the same parts that you could buy for a desktop computer. They're just specially designed for the console. So what's neat about that, though, is that that means that the, the sort of cross-play, cross-compatibility stuff is becoming more like a game being a console exclusive and never coming out on PC is actually fairly uncommon now. And I mean, Microsoft in particular has been really pushing, you know, that games coming out on the Xbox One Xbox and Xbox One X and all that stuff are also simultaneously coming out on Windows. So that's that's neat. Like, it used to be that console games and PC games were completely separate and would never meet. And the connection between them has becoming tighter and tighter. And even the cross-play stuff, although there's various problems with that. But, uh, you know, people being able to play with, with your friends on console versus PC and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, I've definitely played cross-console, but there are various problems with that. But still, I can appreciate the fact that Microsoft and um, in the console, which Xbox obviously, have formed like this kind of bond so that Xbox's games can come over to Microsoft and you guys could think up the people can play together like someone who has an xbox someone who has a pc it doesn't matter because you guys can play together although we, we have done a couple stories on on checkpoint where games that do have cross play everybody has to turn it off because there's problems but when games come out on pc of course there's a lot more opportunity for hackers and mods and cheaters and stuff <laughs> and so they're like if you want to play this game play it on console turn off cross play I'm not saying PC gamers are all cheaters. I'm just saying that it's easier to do when it's not all locked down on a console. Yeah, definitely. All right, so moving on, how do, how would you averagely create a Commodore Hustle episode? Commodore Hustle is primarily... Well, so usually what will happen for Commodore Hustle or Friday nights, the process is pretty similar, is that we'll get together in a, a group, sort of the majority of the sort of Loading Ready Run crew, or anybody who wants the input, and we'll kind of throw ideas around for what we think that episode could be about. And often it'll be sort of, we'll try to sort of get a general structure and maybe come up with a few specific jokes and stuff. And then these days, most of the time, Graham and Kathleen will actually go away and take that, like, because usually that kind of brainstorming stuff is not that, like, it's a sort of amorphous mass of stuff. And to actually form that into an episode that makes sense and is a whole process. So, and Graham and Kathleen have gotten really good at doing that. And so they, they'll, I don't know exactly what their process between the two of them are, but they will sort of write up the final script for the episode. And then usually what they'll write a script and then we'll, we'll sort of do a read through of it and maybe make some changes or, you know, things change depending on, there's a lot of differences like with scripts when you like read it out loud versus writing it, you know, there's certain, phrases or, or words that sound good when you're reading it but don't work when you're reading out loud or you know something stuff like that or like oh i think it would be funnier if this happened or that kind of stuff but and then uh 
yeah, so that, I mean, that's the writing process. And then once we figure out actually how we're going to write it, then we'll do all the filming for it, which will be highly based, you know, generally will be like whoever's in the scene, you know, we'll have like the people who are in the, or in that episode. And then whoever isn't on camera will be either like running the camera or holding the boom or whatever. And then that'll go to post-production editing, which is depending on, we've got these days, we have a whole sort of editing pipeline where we have Graham and Kathleen and Heather and Corey and Matt and various other people who are, who we have very, all sorts of different projects that are sort of on the go all the time. And it used to be Graham did all the editing himself way back in the day. And obviously we got to the point where that was not sustainable for one person. And so things have gradually sort of moved off and we've brought in other other people into the group to help with editing and put things together and stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's very much a whole whole process. How long does like the process of having an episode go from idea to getting sent out take average depend- at least? Yeah, it depends on the timeline. Like, you know, it can be as short as like a week. But that's not very pleasant. <laughs> we try to have more time than that. Just to, a lot of, the, some, especially with Commodore Hustle and stuff, sometimes you just, especially in the writing process, just sort of letting things simmer a little bit helps, you know, being able to like write the script and then, or, or write a, a chunk of script and then put it away and come back to it the next day and see it with fresh eyes. That having that, having a little bit of time there does certainly help. But we've definitely done them in much shorter timelines when it has been necessary for various reasons. Mm, makes sense. I mean, I definitely think that there have been some times where I've, like, rushed stuff and didn't come out well or does come out well, and I'm like, wow, that was lucky. But I definitely try <laughs> to put as much time into stuff as I can <laughs> to make it the best it can be. Yeah, yeah. Of course, often, like, the time, the stuff that we, you know, do at the last minute, some of the time that's the stuff that people like the best. So, you know, you never know with these things. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, moving on. How was your time with Escapist? And, like, how was Unskippable? What was good about it? What was bad about it? Or what did you dislike, I guess? I mean, Unskippable was a lot of fun. And it was, I mean, as as I said earlier, it was getting Unskippable was sort of the catalyst to being able to, Graham and I being able to do Learning Ready Run full time. So it was a big part of our evolution of Learning Ready Run. Um, and then also we ended up doing the Escapist News Network and just putting the Loading Ready Run sketches on the Escapist as well. So we had quite a uh, a lot of content. On, at one point we were producing like almost all the con- all the video content that the Escapist was putting up was like us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there were various... The Escapist went through some issues in terms of their financial situation and stuff. They started cutting back things and they were like, you know, we, we can't afford to do the Escapist News Network with you guys anymore. And we're like, okay, that's fine. We'll do something else. And, you know, that's when we started doing um, Checkpoint on with Penny Arcade Television. And, you know, things sort of gradually got cut back and cut back and cut back as they as they were having financial problems. And I don't think it's any secret. There were some issues with the Escapist, like paying people on time and that kind of stuff that started that started getting very uncomfortable with our, you know, we, we had a pretty good relationship with the people at the Escapist, but there started to be a lot of tension around that aspect of it because, you know, you sort of are producing a lot of this content and you're like, come on, guys, we need this. We need all this, this stuff. We cannot logistically continue to produce this content without getting anything for it. We've got it. Like, if we can't get any money from you guys, we're going to have to start looking elsewhere for our stuff. So 
that was unfortunate. And then the escapist, you know, completely went belly up. But by that time, we were sort of out of there. So I think, like, I still, I have, you know, uh, the escapist was very positive for us in a lot of ways, despite sort of how it how it ended, and you know, the some of the stuff that ended up happening with the escapist. There's no question that they were a huge part of the sort of evolution of the loading ready run and the parent company for loading ready run if you call it bionic trousers media which is what we call the sort of that that's the actual like company because loading, loading ready run was sort of the sketch comedy stuff and we wanted to sort of have a different name for that but that i mean that entity we formed graham and i formed that company sort of in order to have something that the escapist could have an agreement with you know that's when we started actually having a real company so uh that was a big part of it so and and, you know we met lots of people at the escapist content creators and stuff who we still are friends with now but there was definitely some unpleasantness near the end there where they uh when they were sort of they they got they got like bought out by other people who had a, a different vision for how it should go and stuff yeah, I appreciate you commenting about that. I think that everyone needs a starting point to kind of move on from mine. I Mine is just like, I got a great mom <laughs> and she's just helping me do everything. And I guess just all these podcast platforms. But yeah, I guess yours was um, The Escapist and I'm sure they helped you a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, we hear, still hear from lots of people who first learned about us through Unskippable and The Escapist. So, I mean, they were definitely a huge source of audience too. Yeah. Moving on. Let's talk about um, Friday nights. So how did you go about making an episode of Friday nights? And um, also, how did Wizards contact you and how did you feel? So, I mean, the process for Friday nights is largely similar to the process that I was talking about for Commodore Hustle, the sort of writing meeting where we come up with ideas and stuff. Although for Friday nights, they'll often be, we'll often be like looking at specific cards and stuff. And, And also, I mean, for Friday nights, we do get information from Wizards of the Coast. Not usually not like preview information, but stuff about like or or they'll be like this this set is coming out. So, you know, it would make sense to make an episode about that. That kind of influence on the on the show is fairly minimal um on their side. But uh but there is an aspect of like, well we might as well talk about the new set that's coming out. Like that's not only is that relevant to the audience, but Theoretically, that's what the characters in the show would care about, too. So it makes sense. Yeah, the extra step with Friday Nights is that there is a script approval process that it has to go through. The first couple episodes, we had a lot of problems with, like, because we didn't know what the, the requirements were and what was would not fly with the sort of corporate aspect of Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro, of course, which owns Wizards of the Coast. So there's a little bit of that. You know, you have to have to make sure that we're, that we're not... There's, you know, stuff like swearing and things they don't like. And showing the like logos of other companies in the background of shots and stuff has gotten us a few times we've had to like go in and blur stuff in the background (laughs) so that's a little annoying but eh, it's it's not too bad i totally think that um with new sets it's definitely really interesting because i remember one of one of my other favorite episodes other than taking a mulligan there was merfolk surprise where rivals of ixalan had I, I think was just coming out or had just come out and uh, Cam was like super excited to make a Merfolk deck and he just goes nuts on Merfolk. He wakes up super early to try and play against James's vampire deck. Gets realizes that he gets blown up by board wipes, then throws in like a ton of counter spells. 
realizes that that's all he has in his deck. And then he just falls asleep just abruptly. Just boom. It's something that we figured out sort of fairly early on for Commodore Hustle and Friday Nights is that nice, smart people aren't actually that funny in a sort of sitcom sense. So, so in the Friday Nights context, we're all kind of like sort of dumb, kind of not mean, but like sort of selfish versions of ourselves, like and kind of, you know, amped up, obviously, too. And but also like everybody in the Friday Nights universe is like or all, all the main characters anyway, are all very easily very sort of petty about stuff and get like obsessed with something and you know it's just more entertaining for to watch that kind of stuff you know yeah you just reminded me of this um other episode where i'll just give like the short version graham adam james and um ben are come uh, ben Olmer they're coming back from midnight pre-release and then uh cam and kathleen were like moping about how mill wouldn't be a viable strategy even though and then ben told them that they that it was because he hadn't seen anyone playing it <laughs> and then adam comes over with a water bucket and splashes it on them asking them who wants to play high tide so overall that definitely showed off like his pettiness but also how like <laughs> how far kathleen and cam were like going just because mill strategy wasn't in the format or so they thought which they were proved wrong for better or for worse for i think that was one of adam's first episodes oh yeah i think it was their first episode i think they were introduced in this episode about the pre-release graham couldn't find a partner so he had to get one right right yeah. and he ended up getting partnered up with the surge <laughs> but they ended up going for cake afterwards at his house so <laughs> yeah that <laughs> uh, but you can tell how much i like friday nights as i can like recite plots from memory <laughs> I mean, it's it's wonderful, but it's it's always funny because, of course, I find that people who watch our our stuff know more about it than we do, right? You know, we're always like, "What are we doing next?" So you don't spend a lot of time like looking back on old videos that much. And so I have many times gone on to like the Discord or the chat or whatever and be like, "Hey, does anybody remember what what episode this happened in?" And people, there'll be like ten people be like, "Yes, it was this episode." Here's the link. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really love Friday nights, and that got me hooked a lot. Yeah, a lot of times I was just, well, I think I've watched majority, if not all, episodes of Friday nights, which is interesting because it just shows how much I like it. And I've definitely rewatched a majority of the episodes. That's great. But yeah, okay, so. I appreciate that you do know I'm one of your biggest fans. Even though I, I'm probably not one of your biggest fans because I know there are people out there who are like every single day like rewatch every episode of Friday nights <laughs> and like not like, a have, competition. Like, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I am a big fan. So moving on, let's talk about three PS3s. Mm. <laughs> a long time ago that, but so. What was your experience with 3PS3s, and um, how did it go? What did people say? So 3PS3s, yeah, it was a video we were doing, we did for Christmas, because the idea was that, like, everyone wanted to get a PS3 that year for Christmas. And so we were actually trying to write a different video, and Graham and I just kept making each other laugh about this, like, this guy who's just gloating about having 3PS3s and, like, comparing it to other things that he has and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> We did that video and bought it out, and it was very popular. And it was very popular. It got quite big among people who didn't know who we were. 
so like it got sort of a different audience than or or at least an additional audience that normally did and man some of the comments on i don't know if they're still there these days but some of the comments on the 3ps3's video were nasty like i think that's probably like the most like negative comment and not and like really like i want to like punch that guy in the face and like break his glasses and shove the bits of glass into his eyes stuff like like really nasty stuff <laughs> and people just like not getting the joke i guess or i don't know <laughs> maybe they were in on the joke that but there, i mean there's also obviously lots of fun comments and there was also a bunch of people like making their own versions of it too which was pretty neat so like people made like their own ps3 where they'd be like holding ps3s and like showing graphs of different like how many ps3s they have versus that so so that was neat like that was i think i feel like it was one of the first videos we did where people were sort of like copying it or or kind of um referencing it in their own videos and stuff and that that was pretty neat and i think the dvd that we made that had that on it which i don't even know what season that would have been but we got permission to put, put a couple of the like alternate or, or other other people's versions of it onto the DVD as well as like a bonus feature. It's kind of a fun thing to do. And then, uh, yeah, and then of course we did the four PS4s and five PS5s, which, and again, it, it's stuff, it's the, for, for whatever reason, it's like a slightly different audience than the sort of loading ready run crew, I guess, or the loading ready run normal viewers. And so there's a lot of people who are like, hey, it's this guy. Or it's the 3PS3's guy. And like I've been recognized as the 3PS3's guy separate from Loading Ready Run. People, like people who don't know any Loading Ready Run stuff would just be like, hey, 3PS3's guy. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Uh, and I'm like, don't hurt me. But uh, the idea of the world that this guy lives in, I love. I like to imagine that maybe he's he's like bought you know time on some like cable network in order to like make an ad show how many ps3s or ps4s or ps show how many he has and just really wants to make clear how many of these he has and how few you the viewer have it's just how much gloating you get done so that was a lot of fun to do and uh i mean with the with the ps5 it was tricky to actually end up with actually get we actually did end up with five actually we ended up with six ps5s i think by the we uh had everybody pre-ordering and stuff and we managed between all of us and our friends and stuff we managed to source enough ps5s to make it work yeah and i remember hearing i forget where but i remember hearing that like one of the original ps3s was like a hollow model or something <laughs> it was in in the first the original three ps3s video there was only one real ps3 there was one real ps3 there was one just a PS3 shell that we got from EB Games. Oh, no, there's two real PS3s. Yeah, it was two real PS3s. And then back in the day on the, like, in-store demo unit for the PS3, you know, had, like, a screen, and then, like, it had a little, like, enclosed bubble thing with the PS3 in it, and then a controller attached that you could play. That PS3 that was in the little bubble thing wasn't a real PS3. It was just the plastic shell with nothing inside. There was a second PS3 underneath the thing because the problem was the PS3 in the bubble would overheat. The in-store demo units were like a PlayStation with a controller and like a thing. And the PlayStation was in this kind of like bubble chamber thing so you could see the PlayStation. And they would overheat in the bubble thing. 
because the PlayStation 3 was a beast of a machine. And so what they did is they had the real PlayStation was hidden underneath behind the in the like base of the model with like extra fans on it. And the thing that you could actually see in this like little window area was uh, just the case. It was just a fake PS3. And so we, we knew somebody who worked at Electronics Boutique or, or GameStop. And uh, we borrowed that, that. That was the third PS3. It was a fake one that we... So whenever I like stacked up three on top of each other, we, t- we put the fake one on top. <laughs> just because we were so worried about it falling over and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'd probably do the same thing. But it's interesting that you came up with that idea and then you just managed to put it together and make a video. And um, I, I was just scrolling and I found out about that. And it was it, I, I thought it was funny. I thought it was great. And then and then when you, when the PS5 came out, I, I started looking. I was like, oh, three PS3s, four PS4s. I'm waiting. And then what do you know? It just, boom, there it is. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of demand. For the five PS fives video. <laughs> so before we cap this up, before we uh, end it, there's a few things I want to ask. One, is there any advice you would like to give for me before we uh, end this? I mean, you know, like I said at the very beginning, you know, how we started loading ready run was Graham and I wanted to get better at making videos, and so we just did it. You know, just doing it, and there's definitely something to be said for that. Just consistently producing content and you know trying to improve it and you know giving yourself some kind of deadline of of you know every every week or every month or every two weeks or whatever your whatever your particular schedule is giving yourself some kind of schedule and just putting you know don't the old you know don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good you know just put it out there and you'll get better all the time I mean, I think that's basically works for almost anything you, you do, but especially creative endeavors. It's just important to just to create stuff and not get kind of too caught up in the, you know, making it perfect. Mm, yeah, thanks. That's, a, that's great advice. I really appreciate that. One more thing. Is there anything you would like the audience to know that I haven't discussed? All of the stuff that I've been talking about available for uh, you to watch and download and enjoy, I hope at uh, loadingrerun.com and on our YouTube channel. And we do all the streaming on Twitch and all that kind of stuff too. And uh, I hope that your audience will uh, check out our stuff and enjoy it. Yeah, uh, I hope so too. So uh, before we end this, thank you so much, Mr. Saunders, for coming on. And I super appreciate it. I am like a really big fan. So uh, when you said yes, a lot of commotion in the house. (laughs) You would not believe it. My mom will tell you how much I would I would not shut up, how happy I was, and how happy I still am. I'm so glad I got to interview you. And um, for all the listeners, please go check out Loading Ready Run on all of their socials, YouTube, Twitch. Is there anywhere else, Mr. Saunders? Uh, nope, that's about it. Yeah, LoadingReadyRun.com, YouTube, Twitch. And those are the main places where we post all our stuff, yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Paul, for coming on the show. Besides being excited to talk to you, what I really took from our conversation was your perseverance. Listening to your story, I learned that you and Graham simply kept changing, adapting, and figuring out what worked. But you never stopped. You've been doing this for over 18 years, and throughout your career, you've had to become a writer, actor, videographer, host, 
Anchorman, and of course, Gamer. All to keep Loading Ready Run going. Thank you for sharing your story with my listeners. For everyone out there listening, please make sure you follow Paul on YouTube and Twitch, and of course, their website, Loading Ready Run. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Gamer Story Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for me, you can reach me directly at agamestory.com. Thanks for listening.